0: Hello and welcome to this new season of the WTO's Let's Talk Trade podcast series. My name is Michael Roberts and I work in the development division of the WTO. What you can hear in the background is the crowd at a recent game of the WTO's local football team, Geneva's Servette Football Club. Servette plays in the top tier of the Swiss professional league, the Credit Swiss Super League. In this podcast series, we're going to hear about how football is a local game and a global product. In this first episode, we're going to quiz a group of WTO experts and soccer enthusiasts about the game of football and what it means to them, both personally and professionally. How much international trade is there in football? Not just with regard to footballs, pitches, gears, but also with regards to players, broadcasting rights and much, much more. A 2018 study commissioned by FIFA from the International Centre of Sports Studies estimates that there are approximately 15 million official matches played every year around the world. That's about 300,000 football matches each week. And that football doesn't even include the informal games like the one we see in the park outside the WTO. What do these football games contribute to the global economy? Speaking at the 2022 WTO Public Forum, FIFA president Gianni Infantino quoted a figure of approximately 268 billion US dollars for the global GDP of football. So let's talk trade. Let's get the trade goals season underway. Joining me in the WTO studio are our soccer enthusiasts. They'll give you expert opinions and tactical commentary on how association football relates to the WTO rulebook. So let me turn to our WTO pundits and ask them to introduce themselves. Turning
1: first to you, Roy. Thank you, Michael. So my name is Roy Santana. I work in the market access division of the WTO.
0: Football for me means driving my youngest son around Geneva to football practice and games during the week and on the weekends. What about you, Roy?
1: During the week, I work on issues like tariffs and customs procedures. And then over the weekend, actually the the whole week, just like you, I'm a soccer dad. So that means I have to take my son all over the place so he can go to practice and to games. I have a crazy confession to make, which is probably not the best thing to do in a football podcast. But I was never really a big football fan. I would, of course, watch the you know Champions games with the friends at the bar. I would in particular love the um, uh, FIFA World Cup. So I would watch every single game. And probably here, uh, Michael is going to remember <laughs> the 2014 game where Costa Rica eliminated England and also Italy in the same game.
0: I remember it vividly. Thank you for bringing it up, Roy.
1: So my home country, Costa Rica, it was in the, what they call it at the time, the death group, right? So it was uh, England, Italy, Uruguay and Costa Rica. And of course, everybody assumed that they were going to be beating Costa Rica to get those three points. I still remember it like it was yesterday. And the best game took place against England. And in that particular World Cup, Costa Rica eliminated not only England, but also Italy
0: in the same game. So best game is a question of perspective.
2: Can I jump in here? I mean, I also remember that game and definitely would not call it beautiful. My name is Antonia Carzaniga and as you may have guessed, I'm Italian. I work in the services division of the Secretariat.
0: Antonia, can you tell us what football means for you personally?
2: Unlike you both, I'm not a soccer mom, so my biggest sort of uh, involvement with football is trying to get my kids off the PlayStation. But football, of course, means a lot of joy, like when Italy won the European Championship, but also a lot of pain and heartache as the World Cup is coming up and Italy will not be participating.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it, you, it's not coming Rome this uh, this, this time,
2: Not this time around, but wait for the
3: next one. Looking to you, Wolf. Yes. Hi, my name is Wolf Meyer-Evert. I work in the WTO Secretariat's Division on Intellectual Property, Government Procurement and Competition. And as an intellectual property expert, I work on uh, the agreement that sets minimum standards for intellectual property protection in the WTO members. Over to you,
0: Jana.
4: Hi, I'm Jana Borges. I work in communications here at the WTO. And what does football mean to you? I'm Brazilian, and football is all around over there in a way that perhaps is not very well understood outside Brazil. At the time of the World Cup, people close their streets. I remember this from when I was a child. There are parties to watch the games. They paint the colors of the Brazilian flag on the streets. There are massive traffic jams just before a game of the Brazilian national team because everybody wants to go home. And I even saw some studies that uh, productivity fell by 50% during the World Cup uh, on the opening day back in 2014 when it was held in Brazil. That means that with so much passion, there's also a lot of pain. And there's no pain that's worse than seeing your team lose tragically to Germany on home soil. And just to give another flavor, this phrase, uh, 7 to 1, became part of the language. In Brazil, people refer to that when there's something really wrong going in the country and they want to compare Brazil with other countries. uh, People say, oh, that's another 7 to 1.
0: Wolf let me as we as we've introduced the the topic of losing to Germany something that I as an Englishman know quite a lot about perhaps you'd like to pick this up
4: I don't know if I want Wolf to comment on that right <laughs> after me
3: Well Michael what I would say is this is a game of 90 minutes and in the end Germany wins right <laughs> Well unfortunately that's not been the case so much recently but no on a personal level football for me means managing the competitiveness of my son and daughter who play against each other in our backyard and watching and, and feeling the exhilaration of, you know, seeing your team play in big championships.
5: Marcus, over to you. My name is Marcus Jelito. I work in the Trade in Services and Investment Division of the WTO. Um, we uh, administer the rules of services trade, the multilateral rules on services trade. What does football mean to you? Well, on a personal level, I used to play football as a as a youngster and my, my son is playing in the Geneva League, so uh, it keeps me busy over the weekend. But I'm also an avid supporter of football and um, my club is Eintracht Frankfurt and they have won, uh, very surprisingly, the League Cup this year after 42 years without any international title. And in a way, supporting that team is something that I realised... It's maybe typical for me because I always like to root for the underdog. Football means also the possibility of the smaller team to beat on occasion the bigger team. So what about Ipswich Town? That's my local club. (laughs) Ipswich Town would would be a team worth supporting, yeah. Well,
0: I mean, we won the FA Cup in 1978 and I think we won the UEFA Cup in 1981. So your story of winning a major European title after 42 years, it's possible, is it? It's possible. Never stop dreaming. (laughs) <laughs> okay, Una, over to you.
6: Hello, my name is Una Flanagan. I work in the Trade and Environment Division, uh, specifically on the Agreement on Technical Barriers to Trade, which is the agreement that deals with uh, regulations and standards. Can you tell us what
0: football means to you?
6: So, to me, football means uh, soloing the ball in the garden, practicing. It means the third Sunday in September for the All Ireland
0: final. The what?
6: I'm a little bit confused. We're talking about Gaelic football, aren't we?
0: Gaelic Gaelic football. Okay. All right. Can you explain to us about Gaelic football?
6: So Gaelic football is the most popular sport in Ireland. It's played by men and women. It's an amateur sport. There's no fancy haircuts. It's played in every town, in every village in Ireland. And um, basically you kick a ball up and down a kitch, but also you hold it more and you bounce it. And it's a bit of a rugby, a kind of a combo of rugby and um, soccer in a way, as we call it.
0: Wolf, what do you think of this idea of football as a local game that you can only play in the place where you are? Does that hold?
3: I think historically, that's obviously how the fame and reputation of the game is is created. It's the The experience of the, well, either being part of a team or experiencing, you know, a match live. Obviously, with the advent of the digital world and broadcasting, this has changed and you can experience that exhilaration. I think the magic of the actual place where it's played still has an enormous value, and that you can see in the prices that are paid for tickets. So the local nature of it is important, but the means, including trade, uh, that we have today enables projecting this kind of fame and that experience and that reputation into the four corners of the world, and you can associate with it from far and from close. IP is a big part of how that works, but I think the local game has still a, a particular ring to it, even though experience of it can now be global.
0: So even in a local game, a local Gaelic football game, there'll be elements that will be traded, I guess.
6: Every year there's the All-Ireland Final. And that is the biggest event in, in Irish sport, unless, of course, we do qualify for the Football World Cup, which um, we won't be doing this time. And every year they assemble in Crow Park and two counties play. And Crow Park has a capacity of uh, about 85,000, which I think makes it bigger than the Bernabeu in Madrid.
0: And Marcus, there's obviously a huge Irish diaspora who want to get back and watch that game at Croke Park. Now, the tourists coming back to Ireland to watch that game—does that give you any thoughts in terms of services modes?
5: Yeah, I mean, uh, persons who travel abroad and consume services uh, would be uh, importers of services trade. Uh, we call this consumption abroad in in, in technical terms. So travelers who uh, travel to the World Cup in Qatar, for example, they will all be engaging in services trade by uh, buying um, match tickets, by buying uh, hotel uh, accommodation, by uh, going to restaurants.
3: And I imagine that there will be sponsorship deals for Gaelic football teams and big brands will might want to be associated with, you know, successful teams within Ireland, or there may be players that are of particular fame, and they might be sponsoring products or trying to uh, monetize some of their, their reputation. So the mechanisms of these intangible values, through IP protection, they work at the local level at the global level. And they're just one of the main channels of, of actually creating revenue.
0: So Janet, you obviously can't get back to Brazil to watch every Brazilian game, how do you consume Brazilian football services?
4: via broadcasts. And uh, luckily, uh, more recently, it started to appear more and more on live streams. Uh, Of course, there are some restrictions. So I will only watch, of course, the live streams that are authorized here in Switzerland, which sometimes is a little bit uh, frustrating. I remember on uh, one of the main matches uh, of the Women's World Cup, Recently, uh, there was a major match between Brazil and the larger uh, team, and I assumed this would be easily found on a major broadcaster. I ended up having to watch the match on a small German channel. I don't speak German, but that was the only opportunity that I had uh, to be able to to see uh, Marta and her co-teammates working their beauty.
0: Football is a local game. You can only play in the place that you are physically present. The example that's often given of how physical presence matters for a service is a haircut. So is football a bit like a haircut? Can it be traded, Antonia?
2: In order to trade certain services, to trade them internationally, you have to have the consumer and the producer physically present in the same place for that sort of transaction to uh, to materialize to take place, so in the sense, you know, there's some similarity with a football match because unless the two teams are present in the same pitch and are playing each other, there's no way a match can actually materialize.
0: And obviously, haircuts are very um, important to footballers.
2: Unfortunately, so I mean, I think we've seen the results of that more than once.
0: You're talking about Balotelli? (laughs) Any of them. (laughs) Take your pick. So you were saying, Antonio. can I ask you to develop that a little bit further?
2: In the case of a haircut, nothing prevents us when we're traveling abroad, for instance, from having a haircut. And that's where trade takes place. The same thing can uh, happen with a football game. You know, if Michael, tomorrow you were to travel to Italy, just to name random example, to watch a, a local match, you'd be actually trading services. You'd be consuming an international service, a foreign service, a fo- foreign football match. So there is trade involved even in when the game is completely local.
0: Roy, what about from a goods perspective?
1: Have you actually thought where the scissors come from? Right, so the hairdresser may be completely local, also the person taking the haircut completely local, but then is probably using an appliance, the scissors, which is probably manufactured thousands of kilometers away. And then the haircut cannot take place without those scissors. In football, is similar, right? So you need the ball. If you are having a bigger type association type of football, you need the net, you need the gloves, you need the uniforms, you need the shoes. And all these products are probably manufactured all over the world in order to enable you to actually be able to play football. So I don't think it's just an issue of local and global. I would even go as far as saying that without the international manufacturing of these products, it would be really difficult to practice football as we know it today.
0: Okay. What's more valuable in the football value chain? Is it goods or is it services? For me it's very easy. You cannot even
1: play football if you do not have the ball, right? So there you go.
2: No, I definitely disagree. I mean, what good is a ball, a pitch, a net, a gloves? What good are they if at the end of the day, the game is not played? What matters central to this all, this uh, entire value chain, if you want to call it that, is a match and that's a service.
1: But you see, this is the kind of things we, we keep having these huge discussions in the WTO cafeteria because, of course... Antonia is a services expert. She looks at everything from the services angle. I, I am an expert on the goods angle. And then I look at everything from the goods angle. But then I just wonder if this is not really an artificial distinction. Because at the end of the day, you need both goods and
3: services to have a business. No? That depends on many different aspects. Well, I would just say that the biggest game in town is broadcasting rights. So the intangible nature of the game and, and its transmission you know, manages to reach the biggest audience and hence is the biggest factor in revenue. If you look at the value of the top 20 clubs for virtually... All the clubs uh, broadcasting rights together with brand income makes up about two thirds of their value because, you know, match day intake and even other commercial kind of trades are really small in comparison.
5: Yeah, that's right. I think uh, what Wolf uh, spelled out is really true only for the top five leagues and particularly for the English Premier League. But in other leagues, like, for example, here in Switzerland, television revenues are negligible. So a match day gate receipts are very important for the lower leagues and for the smaller clubs.
0: So we've established that football is a local game. Now, the other premise is that football is also a global product. So how is that global product traded? Anybody like to pitch in?
2: it becomes a global game and a global product because it's got such a widespread fan base. And, you know, you can, of course, enjoy a game live, you know, by traveling internationally to watch it. But what most fans do is actually enjoy the game mostly live or actually replayed once it's broadcast, for instance, internationally. So it's immediately you see the international and the to some extent the trade element coming in in the way that this, the game is consumed.
0: So in essence, what you're talking about is the moment that a match is televised and there's an audience out there beyond the immediate spectators, that's the moment that it becomes a global product in a services sense.
2: One element, which we will see also in one of our later podcasts, is that you can have players who are foreign players and who are moving to produce, so to speak, the football game. So trade is in you know present not only in terms of the consumption of the final match, but also in the production of the match.
1: And also, uh, perhaps one point I think here to make is because you have these fans who enjoy football from all over the world, Typically, they have not only one team they follow, they have many. So you have your local team, then you also have the team you like who plays, I don't know, in Spain or who plays in the UK or who plays in Germany. And what becomes really uh, something where you suffer is when they actually have to play each other. So you really have to choose which is your real team, no?
4: Well, my husband's Argentinian, I'm Brazilian. We both live here in Switzerland. And one example of what Roy was just talking about that my husband, he's got his hometown team back in Argentina, of course. And then he's been uh, following Barcelona with a lot of passion. He's been a big fan. Of course, Messi was in Barcelona for many, many years. The moment Messi transferred to Paris Saint-Germain, my husband became a PSG fan instantly. And now he follows all matches of PSG.
0: So if you were going to try and consider... Football as a global value chain, how would you go about describing? Should we call it the beautiful value chain, like the beautiful game of football? What does that look like? Jana, as a communications expert, can you um, try and demystify what this concept is of a global value chain? Well, a global
4: value chain, if I can go back to basics, is a network of inventors, manufacturers and service providers in many countries that join together to produce a single product. This was made possible because transport costs went down massively over decades and communications got much easier. So one producer can focus on a small portion of the process and other producers will pick it up until you get a finished good in another part of the world. For example, one company sends a thread to another country that's going to sew this into a ball that will be sent then to another location for finalization and artwork. Uh, where you're going also to add IP rights. So you have all of these workers throughout the line participating in the production of this one piece of good that will end up being used in a football game. Our rules here at the WTO make this process possible because we have this one set of rules uh, that apply across the globe and allow uh, this process to happen.
2: And it's also interesting to look at this value chain in terms of the match being maybe in the middle of the chain. So it's certainly one product, but then the chain sort of continues with everything that you can do once the match has been played. You can broadcast it, as we discussed. You can bet on it. You can use it to produce, you know, video games. So there's a chain, you know, it's, it's one that has a lot of. Input, inputs, but also subsequent outputs. So it's
0: a very long one. Does this idea of a football as a global value chain resonate to, uh, to you, Marcus?
5: Yeah, sure. I think uh, it resonates very well. Football is a value chain, it starts with a service, uh, which is the game. And the service is possible only through inputs, which are goods uh, or like the ball, the kits which are produced very often in different countries. Uh, then we have the, the pitch w- where players play on. And very often you'd be surprised to know that these pitches are not necessarily grown in the same country in which they're used, or the seeds come from different countries. There's a lot of technology involved in that also. And then when you look at what is done with the game, that's where a lot of IP uh, issues come in. But This is all one-upmanship, isn't it, by our services
0: colleagues? This is really just about goods, isn't it? I mean, all you need is football and a couple of jumpers, and you've got
3: a game. Well, I think we IP people are quietly superior in uh, in that regard.
0: Sadly, we'll have to leave our WTO commentators there. It sounds like negotiations may involve several rounds before consensus emerges. Thanks to all our WTO experts who were part of this opening episode. You'll be hearing from them again in the coming weeks. And I'll be your guide as we navigate this fascinating intersection between football and trade. Let me explain what you will hear as we move down the field of play and approach the trade goal episode by episode. We'll break football down to its basics. You will hear about footballs, pitches, players fans, the game and rules and referees. In each episode, we'll start from the local our club in Geneva, FC Servette. And then we'll go global, explaining how each link in the beautiful valley chain extends across the world and interacts with trade and trade policy. Join us in our next episode when we will blow up your knowledge about footballs and burst some of the myths about how they are produced. If you are new to this podcast and you want to hear more about supply chains and global value chains, I recommend you download our Season 3 presented by Jessica Hermosa. It shows bit by bit how they work and how it all comes together. Full disclosure, though, no football talk in that one. And keep an eye on our show notes. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk Trade.